everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Sheep Things Podcast. Thanks for listening in to our second season as we launch this season with a unique uh, episode and a unique interview with Sarah Gibson, who is fairly new to Raising Sheep. This is their second year. Um, They started in 2018. We wanted to change it up a little bit. Um, Throughout season one, we interviewed a lot of people that had many years of experience in sheep. Um, We have probably centuries of combined experience in that first uh, series of podcasts. Um, But we thought we'd break it up a little bit and have somebody that is fairly new on. Um, We've gotten a lot of questions from a lot of those of you who are new and and Sarah had sent in some questions. And so we thought, why don't we do an episode with somebody who's, who's new and get the perspective of somebody who's trying to learn. And so that's exactly what we did here. So listen in as we talk with Sarah Gibson and talk through some of her questions. So, so Sarah has a hundred sheep. Yeah, that's right. We've got 99. 99. Total head or user? Breeding stock? Uh, That's 99. Well, so there's 96 ewes and three rams. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And uh, so she she asked, hey, you know, you want to do a newbie uh, podcast? And uh, we get to talking. I'm thinking, man, 100 sheep. You know, you kind of stepped off into it big time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so she's going. She's was her assignment was to make a lot of questions that she had, uh-huh. and um, I'm not sure we're the guys to answer those questions. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking we should um, we should preface the podcast with we're not claiming to be experts here. Just <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, we are, you know, um, we are not the technical. We need a disclaimer, I guess. You know. Um, so what happened was, uh, 2018, we decided that we were going to buy some sheep and we bought 35 and my husband, he's right here. How many did your dad buy? He bought about 50 and his were like sale barn sheep that he thought looked good. And the 35 we got were Katahdin's that were, they were not registered commercial Katahdin's, um, probably Katahdin's. Okay. You know, and so, you know, they're white sheep and they fit the description to a certain extent as far as we knew. And so this is what we've got. <laughs> and so, so that's 85 sheep. Um, in, in Robert's world, that that's a uh, white sheep. is thin. <laughs> yeah, at, the, at the, at the cell barn, the difference between a Katahdin and a commercial Katahdin and a commercial Dorper is, if they bring good money, they claim to be half Dorper. And if they're cheap and scrawny looking, they'll say they're half Katahdin. Oh, no. And it's the same sheep. But it, it, My husband loves how, that. He's laughing. Yeah, that's how they determine what breed they are. 
Yeah, don't be surprised if he pops up over my shoulder to kind of add something in. So yeah. we started out with these 85 sheep in 2018. It was about November. And so they needed to winter at our property with us having no idea what to do. And so that first winter, we had a few dogs and they that was their job to take care of them. We put them with cattle. Um, they're on 120 acres and it's fenced, but it's not, uh, we don't do any intensive grazing at all. So uh, they just kind of roam and do what they want. Uh, we have a few ponds and a, a, a spring. And so they were there with the dogs over the winter and we lost a lot of sheep. Um, we had, we had, we had problems with the Pyrenees dogs just taking off. And so yeah. they weren't doing their job and we had predators and, then we had a Pyrenees dog that thought it was fun to chase the babies and ran them to death. And so we had dog problems. That's just really what we decided in the end is that we had dog problems. So we lost a lot of sheep over our first winter and we came out of it with like 50. So we didn't do good. Bad first winter. Um, we made it through and we, you know, our, but guess by now, we feel like we've kind of hit a good point. We've got good dogs. They take care of the sheep. We're starting to have all of our used lamb and we've, we've actually called a little bit, not a whole lot. Um, we had 135, I think something like that. And so 35 ish went to sale plus an extra ram that just snuck in there. Um, There's always <laughs> one. <laughs> This was this was that bad day that you're just up there trying to get things done real quick in the morning and then you get off to sale and you're like, what are you doing on the trailer? Well, off you go. So that's how it worked out that day. Um, but anyway, we, we did make our first sale at the sale barn, but they, are, they went as meat sheep. That's what we do. Um, that's our that's our goal. And so we're not we're we're not looking at like we're not looking at show sheep. That's not our intention. And. Uh, we do want to have better flock though. So um, that's, that's how we started. We've got great dogs now and we feel like that made such a huge difference. Um, we, do it, we feel like we, we actually kind of have our footing, but if the thing happens where you say that the parasites hit or no foot rot hits in year two, then we'll be having a lot of fun with that. But so far so good. So why don't you so, uh, start by telling oh. our listeners really quick, just where you're located and yeah. That's the other fun part, Caleb. I live in Houston, Texas, oh, wow. um, but our sheep are in Southwest Missouri. Oh wow, that so is so we're not even there. Um, unique, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're really hands off. Um, my my husband's dad has taken care of them to the extent that they've been cared for, but he's a cattle rancher, mm -hmm. and so he approached sheep with a cattle perspective, and uh, we know that they're not cattle, and we're going to work towards doing what sheep need, but, um, he, he pretty much didn't do anything with them, you know, goes up and puts out some hay for the cows and sheep can eat it if they want to. And there's no shelter. We have a little, like a little pole barn mm -hmm. and they can go in if they want, but it is little and it's pretty hands off even from him. So, um, what's left up there should be strong the way we're seeing it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so how far of a drive is it for y'all then? 10 hours, Okay. 10 hours. We're going to go up there in the morning. We're going to leave here about four in the morning and go up again. And we, we go regularly, but maybe not as regularly as we'd like. Wow. And I thought my lease fields were far away. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> whopping 25 minutes though. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long distance. We, we're going to, we're planning to move. We're oh, planning okay. to move up there. Okay. So. Gotcha. Oh. 
be a little different once we get up there, but when we've been kind of waiting till we can add some more property and we want to have about 800 sheep and by the time we're stabilized. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of like where we see it being a sweet spot if our numbers are right. Yeah. So. Well, nothing like jumping in head first. So, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. you know, the first time, um, I had this crazy idea of having sheep, you know, I wanted, I wanted just three or four, you know? Uh, so I started with four ewes and a ram, uh, and I actually bought eight and I thought my wife would freak out. So I sold half of them to a buddy of mine. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can imagine if I'd have said, Hey, I bought, you know, 85 sheep this week. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> we'll try yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, my story starting out was kind of similar to Robert's. I started off with, uh, started off with two ewe lambs and two weathers and we had access to, to free breeding, um, for these, uh, ewes and, um, uh, you know, I was, I was little. And so my parents were like, yep, this is what we're going to, you know, you can start off with this. We're not going to get a Ram. Like we were, we were set that we were not going to get a Ram. Like it was certain the next year we got a Ram and, uh, you know, <laughs> it just keeps growing from there. So. so tell this beginner why you bought weathers. Were you just going to eat them? Yeah. Yep. That was the goal. Yeah, okay. Yep. Okay. They were Sorry, our meat- I'm like, why would you do yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> they were meat lambs. Can't reproduce. Okay. Yeah, you, you were asking, um, uh, people say oh they don't get into it for the money they get you know i was that way i didn't get into it for the money i got into it to raise hopefully you know a handful of of lambs to eat Mm -hmm. for myself i had no intentions of being in the sheep business uh we had uh, registered cattle and um you know i like beef i like steak um but once i got sheep god it was so much easier to fool with even though you had to fool with them a little more you know, whenever I'd have to work cattle, man, you got to have all the family members. You got to have help. It's an all day job. Uh, they can kill really? you. You know, uh, they, they, if you get a wild one, they tear your fences down. And, I mean, and with sheep, it was, it was like, you can't knock me down. I'm bigger than you, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I knew that at some point I was going to be, uh, me and my wife were going to be empty nesters. Our kids really weren't into farming anyway. And um, so at some point you got to do, you got to find something you can do by yourself. And, and so I, I got rid of the cows, you know? Yeah. And for, for me, I mean, my kind of dream growing up was always to raise cattle um, and sheep were kind of the, uh, you know, the first step for a smaller version of Caleb um, to, to try raising before jumping in head first with cows and I was the gateway drug <laughs> and I've loved them so much. I've stuck with them and, uh, I would rather actually raise sheep now than cows. I mean, cows, you know, certainly have their place. Um, and I think you can, you can really have some success when you do both, um, because they complement each other really well, especially on the parasite front. Um, but if I had to just pick one, I'd, I'd, I'd stick with sheep at this point. So, yeah. And, and I guess if I could have, you know, bought 85 or 90 sheep and sent them, you know, <laughs> two day drive away for somebody else to take care of, I might've done that too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's the way That's to do great. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not everyone has that opportunity, but so we, we bought, we brought, um, property that had belonged to my husband's father 
And so it kind of worked out that we, we put some sheep on it and he kind of, in a way, leases it back from us and he runs cattle on it still. Mm. So we kind of have a symbiotic relationship that way to some extent. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I want to bring up uh, to new people, because I, this was me, I was that new person. Um, You get sheep, you got to have a guard dog. I mean, that is a, that is rule number one. You get sheep, you got to have a guard dog. And um, I got my guard dog before I got my sheep. That's how confident I was. I was getting sheep and I, uh, a, a sheep farm, probably 30, 40 miles from here. Uh, I went to visit and he had puppies. He had one puppy left. I bought it. And, and um, the deal was I would buy the feed and he had to keep it for uh, 30 days. That gave me time to find some sheep. And, <laughs> and, and, and I paid for him and I paid for, and I bought a bag of feed. And, it, and if something happened, he died, he died. It was my loss, you know, no strings attached. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, since I was only going to have four or five, six sheep, I, I fenced off a quarter acre, probably ain't even a quarter acre, but a real small place behind my house uh, next to my barn and, and made a little corral around it and stuff. Uh, to, one thing I didn't realize till the first night that my dog and my sheep were together at my house was, that dang dog barked all night long. <laughs> Nobody tells you how loud those dogs are and how much they bark um, to start with, you know, till they get used to things. And cause I called the guy to complain. I'm like, I, I want my money back. This thing will not shut up. And he's telling me all this stuff. And, and this thing is literally 40 feet from my back, from my bedroom window and barked all the time so that was that was something that definitely um as a new person i wish i would have known yeah although i will make one caveat to that and that is that uh i've been raising sheep now for what's this eight years now and i still don't have a guard dog yeah (laughs) and mainly and i would if i if i could um and the reason i haven't is because most of the ground i lease is small small fields um, it's leased fields and it's, you know, in town, you know, five acre lots or three acre lots. Um, and so when you, when you're putting your sheep on somebody else's place, um, a small area, um, where they, you know, are going to interact with, with people in larger amounts, it's too much of a liability to put, you know, a guard dog on somebody else's place. Um, really our dogs don't like people. Yeah. I mean, they don't, but that's what we needed because we felt like our Pyrenees were leaving over lack of socialization. Mm. You know, they want, no, they just, people. a Pyrenees just takes off. Yeah. They don't care. Yeah. Okay. They just, so now we have Anatolian they, and that works really well for us, but what do you have Robert? I've had, I've had everything. <laughs> my, my mailman called me one day and said, Hey, uh, I seen your dog over at Freddie's house. And I'm like, well, that's impossible. That's like seven miles from here. And he goes, oh, no, it, it was your dogs. I see them every day. And I'm like, there's no way. So like a couple of days goes by and I get a text message. It's my dog at Freddie's, you know, and it's seven miles by the road. But if, if I live on a river, you could go down, cross the river and come back up. It's probably only two miles away. My, okay. my dogs were leaving during the day when I wasn't there. But they were always there when I left and always there when I got home. Yeah, I, I have some friends. So, yeah, my, my Pyrenees, they, they roam like crazy. Um, now I've got an Okbosh and a Anatolian Shepherd. 
you know, I, I struggle keeping them in the fence. Uh, I got a Commodore uh, pup that's probably a year old. I really like, you know, their attitude and their their demeanor, I guess. So, I don't know. I'm just – yeah, I'd try anything. Yeah, I have some friends out here that um, that I work with that have some uh, great Pyrenees, and they – they do roam quite a bit, um, but they're roaming and just kind of protecting a larger space. And I have heard of, of people that have kind of done a mixture of both um, to have some that kind of range out a little bit more and keep a, a, a wider perimeter than some that kind of stick close with the sheep for, for direct. Um, yeah, direction. I have visited a few farms that has both breeds and uh, because, of um, you know, the Pyrenees, in my experience, when something happens out in the field and, um, you know, the Akbash, the Akbash and the Anatolian Shepherd will take off. I mean, you won't even hear nothing. And they take off and go to the fight where the Pyrenees kind of looks around like, what is it? I'm ready. You know, they stay there and wait for the fight to come to them where the mm-hmm. other two go. That That's my experience. And so okay. some people, some people kind of mix them up. So you got both bases covered, you know. Right. Uh, but I'm definitely not a, I can't, I can't give anybody dog recommendations in my current setup. So, <laughs> well, yeah, you, our journeys just didn't stay. We, we don't even know where most of them are. Like they're gone. Yeah. They're gone. Yeah. So. We have problems out here in the West with, uh, you know, cause our, our range producers out here, um, you know, they, they're running lots of guard dogs out in the range with their bands of sheep. And, um, you know, there's, there's people that will, go out on these public lands and see the dog and they think, Oh, poor little dog gets lost and they'll take it and bring it to the shelter. And, and that happens really frequently. There has to be a lot of education out here to tell people, no, actually they're fine. They look thin because they are, and that's, (laughs) they're working. And so I have a great story on that kind of similar is I bought a five year old Commodore male and I got him to the house and he climbed out of my barn. I put him in a stall. He climbed out, got out, got him back up. <clears throat> he got out the next day and just totally disappeared. And and we couldn't find him. You know, uh, went up and down a couple miles every direction. Nobody seen him. Nobody knew nothing. And I'm like, well, he got run over. He don't know where he's at. So he's dead. He's whatever. And about three weeks goes by and somebody made a Facebook post of, uh, saying oh you know somebody's missing a dog and my wife sent it to me she goes i have found your dog he was 40 miles away so i contacted these people and i'm like uh, hey that's my dog and they're like well how do you know and i'm like here's the pictures of me and this dog coming home you know and uh and i'm like how did y'all how did he get there i mean he didn't walk there and they're like oh no we seen him out by so-and-so store and so we picked him up and i'm like that is less than a mile from my house. Did you not think to talk to somebody at the store? If you'd have went in the store, there was a poster in there saying, if you see this dog, call Rob. But no, they just took him, they took him 40 miles away. Oh no. And, uh, so people are crazy. It's awful. So anyway, that's my dog stories. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I think, um, I guess to kind of jump into the purpose of this podcast, Sarah, the reason we really are excited to have you on is we've throughout the, 
this podcast so far, I've had people with a lot of experience, years of experience, decades of experience, and um, people that are here to, to educate um, Robert and I on, on what to do. And uh, anyways, we, we thought, well, why don't we do a, a different podcast, kind of switch it up a little bit and have somebody who's new and, and wants to ask questions and we can talk through what new people are looking for and things that they can yeah. see help with. So maybe why don't you, if you don't mind, kind of jump in and, and tell us what some of your, yeah. your challenges have been um, and things that, that you'd like to kind of learn about going forward as you move your operation. Yeah. Okay. Well, one question that we've had, we've, we've started off with, like we said, sale barn sheep and, and sheep that we were pretty sure were Katahdin that we bought from a farmer who said he had Katahdin sheep, you know, and so that's what we have in our mm -hmm. flock. And I'm wondering, you know, there's, there's been some, we look at people's posts and look at all these, we, we have not been into NSIP at all, obviously. Okay. <laughs> so that we're not ready for that, but we've been looking at, um, commercial and registered sheep mm -hmm. and looking at from a meat producer perspective, is there any call or need to have registered sheep or to have part of your flock be registered sheep? And what would be the benefit in that? So uh, I'll jump in kind of share my thought on that. And then maybe Robert, you can share yours. So um, yeah, a couple thoughts. One, I don't think that a paper really matters that much. And I, I kind of, when you're producing meat, um, and, and this is coming from a registered seed stock producer that, that sells a lot of registered breeding stock. Um, personally, I, I don't really care too much about the paperwork. Um, you know, it, it shows the registered. I think that's great. It shows a pedigree. It shows their purebred. People like that. Um, but it's really, to me, not worth a whole lot more than the $8 you pay for it. Um, really, the the difference that I see is the quality of the animal itself. And so, you know, it, the, the downside to some registered sheep, and this is something that, that I hear a lot from, from commercial producers is they're like, well, I don't want registered um, because registered have been, they've been petted to death. Um, they're not, they're not, you know, usually they come from smaller flocks that give them, you know, a little bit better treatment. Um, like you mentioned earlier, you're not interested in necessarily in raising show sheep you know, that tends to be a, a market for, for the registered sheep is the show, um, the show ring. And so oftentimes, and we've seen this in cattle, we've seen this in other sheep breeds, there becomes almost two different lines where there's the production sheep and your registered sheep that are kind of your fancy sheep. And um, Katahdin's generally have been much better, I think, at emphasizing production um, with registration. And so that has helped a lot. And I think there, there's, there's benefits to having registered in that, you know, the pedigree, um, you know, if you want to sell breeding stock, you, you know, you know, what kind of animal that is. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of the benefits really come from, from record keeping. I would personally rather buy a commercial ram um, that has a lot of records and data than a registered RAM that doesn't have any records or data um, because it's a whole lot easier to, to upgrade with Katahdin's um, because, you know, after the five generations, you can register as purebred using uh, registered RAMs. So, like, for example, I, I hauled a RAM back from Missouri uh, last year 
that uh, was one of the, the more expensive ones that I hauled back and he was only 87 and a half percent registered. Um, wasn't, wasn't registered as purebred. He was just recorded. I had to do the hair coat inspection, but I bought him because of his data. Um, and, and, and that's, that's kind of the way I look at it is I want the sheep to be able to, I guess my, my criteria for a good animal is, is if you can take that animal and it's only producing for meat and you're not selling any breeding stock out of it and you're making a profit, that's an animal that's worth registering or an animal that's worth keeping around uh, or an animal that's worth purchasing. But if the animal won't pay for itself, it's not of any value to the industry because that's, you know, that that's uh, (laughs) not a productive animal. And I I think typically what you see with a lot of seed stock operations with, with cattle, with sheep, kind of the whole purpose of a seed stock operation typically is to provide genetics to eventually make their way into the commercial industry um, to benefit commercial producers. That's why seed stock producers exist is, and they sell a higher proportion of rams than you know they would need if it was just flocks raising purebred animals because those rams move into um, other flocks. So for example, out here in Idaho, um, you know, working for the, the Wool Growers Association, you know, we have members that are pretty much, they're, primary business model is, you know, a a commercial range operation where they basically buy all their rams or a significant portion of the rams. And then they just use those with their use. They don't keep back replacement rams. Um, They buy those from an operation that, that specifically focuses on raising rams to be productive for them. And so um, I don't know that, that that's kind of my thoughts generally is that, it doesn't, the benefits of registration really come when you're selling breeding stock, but from the animal perspective on what's better, a registered animal or a commercial animal, you really have to look animal by animal and see what the production data is because, um, there's, I don't think the people we bought sheep from, I don't think that data ever crossed their mind. I don't, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) <laughs> and that's just being realistic you know yeah. i don't want to be like paying a picture that's not accurate but really yeah. i don't think it crossed the line to keep data beyond oh i don't think that one had any lambs this year it's out yeah you know and and like really maybe at that level i don't think it had any lambs you know yeah and so it's kind of a different maybe a different starting point for us we're we're, we're kind of like We've we've got almost mutts, I guess, you know, so to speak, and and we're looking at what other people are working with, and we know that we don't have the same systems. Like, we don't have a record keeping system right now. Yeah. How's that for crazy, right? So. No, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's crazy at all. I think everybody starts somewhere. I mean, an Excel yeah. spreadsheet works pretty good. So. <laughs> and we're gonna have to get one. I mean, like we're at that point where we're like, all right, we need to make a spreadsheet and. And the use that we kept need numbers, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's part of that hands off perspective that we've, that, that came from the cattle part. And yeah. obviously they got tired, but, um, but we haven't been just real involved with the sheep. So we need to, to, as we grow, we need to have a record keeping system. And I guess that's kind of another question, like what numbers do you keep on a basic level and what, mm-hmm. you know, what are things you keep as a higher level? you know, so we maybe get back to that one. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a, that's an important 
question too, um, because, you know, for your operation where you're wanting to go, um, you know, you're not going to want to keep as much, <laughs> as much data as, as those of us raising registered sheep are doing because you can't, I mean, it's just 800 ewes. I mean, you're talking 1600 lambs, hopefully that that's a, do you really want to weigh them all <laughs> in the field? That's where we lamb. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, you know, so, so I see the back to the registered versus commercial. Um, I, you shouldn't walk, you shouldn't be able to walk through your field and pick out the registered sheep versus commercial sheep. Okay. Uh, Tell me why. Well, how? because, uh, a registered animal, um, you know, has the benefit of, of knowing the genetic pedigree, so to speak. Um, you hope that it is, uh, from a, um, physical looking specimen that it is confirmationally correct. The commercial animal has the advantage of being able to breed to whatever you want to breed to, to make a better animal. So mm -hmm. as far as walking through your field and looking, you ought to be culling for the same thing. I mean, if a, if a commercial animal, uh, the difference between the two is a piece of paper. Uh, if, if they're both bred the same. Uh, so for example, you know, I have a bunch of friends that did exactly like you. Uh, when I told them how much I gave for my use, they horse laughed me because they can buy use for a hundred dollars all day long. And they did. And, um, you know, it just put me that much farther. You know, I started out with better stuff. And, uh, so it was, it was, it was a quicker to get to where I wanted to be. Now that I, I have more data, uh, over the years, now I can call and, and currently I'm only registering my use when they hit, um, a year and a half, two years old after they've lambed. Um, if, the, if I don't like their lambs or they don't do a good job lambing, they don't get registered you know, and, um, and this year, uh, Caleb broke the ice before that I'm experimenting again. So, so I've, I have a couple of different rams, different breeds, and I've given them to my bottom, uh, percentage of use. So I'm not raising registered sheep with them. I'm trying to make them better than what they are with commercial sheep. So I'm trying to make a better animal for me to raise meat lambs with versus just keep keeping them registered and not changing anything, you know, mm -hmm. and technically, you know, I could probably spend a couple more years and, and keep getting better NSIP rams and keep making them better. But, but I don't want to, um, I only want to raise breeding stock out of my top 25% of my animals. So if, if a hundred percent of my animals are registered and it's okay, if you got 30 or 40 or 50 use, that's no big deal. But like you're saying, you're going to get to 800. I want to be three or 400. So at 300, my top 25 use is the only ones I'm interested in keeping breeding stock out of. I do not want to keep a breeding stock out of something that's not in my top 25%. Especially right. So, 
so the rest of those animals I get to play with to make better meat lambs or better mamas. You know, I got this year I'm playing with two different rams and they're totally opposite. One of them is to, to be a more maternal, uh, have more lambs. And the other one is, I really don't know. Uh, I'm just <laughs> we'll experimenting. <laughs> I would just find out, you know? So, um, and I think that's the, the great thing about commercial too, is you don't feel constrained by, oh, I've got this paperwork. It's going to be a waste if I breed it to a, you know, animal of a different breed and I don't get a purebred lamb because I'm not getting the full potential out of it. Um, whereas with commercial, you're like, I'll just breed it to whatever the best sheep is and, and, exactly. and get the combination that I need. So it's, it's now the, the advantage to registered though is, the, the predictability of that breed. So if, um, for example, I, I bought some Dorset uh, wool sheep, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago on a whim, uh, I bought 10 or 11, and um, I knew that I would have half wool or mostly wool. You know, it, it took, I'm on my third cross now back on a Katahdin, and it still had, my, I kept one new, and it's still woolly. So the predictability by having full blooded sheep, registered sheep is, you know, you can count, you, you got a pretty good idea of what you're going to get versus, you know, if you go to the sale barn and you bought, I don't know, 50 ewes, like you said you did, you don't know what you got. You don't know if they'll be, you know, two-legged, four-legged, horns, no horns, wool, no wool. You really don't know, so so that's an advantage of 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 registered versus, you know, just taking a shot at whatever you can find cheap, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and I think the the clarification too is, I think oftentimes people in their mind think commercial cheap, registered right. expensive, um, and and I think oftentimes, I mean, you know, for Rams. We might only be talking the difference of you know three four hundred dollars um and that can make a big difference i mean you figure if that passes if that ram um if you use them on say 100 use and let's say your lambs average you know five pounds heavier because of your ram that's 500 well that that's a thousand pounds extra lamb um just by using a different ram and so um you know switching to a ram where you know how he's going to produce um is going to to benefit you a lot more. Um, and, and I think in some ways it can actually become registered sheep can actually become the less expensive option, if you will, in the long run, um, because the commercial ones can cost you more in production inputs in comparison to your outputs, just, you know, standard business, um, equation of revenue minus Mm -hmm. expenses. Um, and so, I, I think there's there's that perception that's out there um, that that has, and I think the other perception too is that you know commercial sheep are are working sheep and registered sheep or fancy sheep, and I, I don't think it necessarily has to be that way. I think it it often depends on you know who you're purchasing from and and all that sort of thing. Um, I, I sell quite a few of my rams um, as commercial um, that are just the same as my registered animals. I just don't fill out the paperwork because the customers don't want it. I don't, you know, I don't care. Um, and so they just want 
an animal it's going to produce. And so, you know, they'll go, mm-hmm. they'll go for the, the data side, go for that consistency side, but don't really care about the paperwork. So I don't know. I think it, I think it kind of depends on business model and kind of where you want to go um, with, with your sheep. Cause if, if you're wanting to stay small and you're wanting to sell breeding stock, then it usually does make sense to go registered because people usually are willing to pay a little bit more for that, that consistency. Mm-hmm. Well, and like in my case, um, you know, if, if you get to the point where you only register your top 25 or 30%, mm-hmm. you'll have the ability to sell <clears throat> breeding stock, a registered breeding stock out of that group. Um, it's the same as if they were all registered. Uh, you just don't have the tendency to sell a lower quality animal breeding stock just because you got somebody wanting it, mm-hmm. so to speak. And that that's, I think, the danger. that and, and the reason why sometimes registered sheep aren't better and sometimes commercial are better is because sometimes people think, oh, they're registered, they're breeding stock quality. Well, no, I mean, like <laughs> for me, I, I don't sell more than top 20%. Typically, I'm aiming for top 10% or less um, of, you know, my rams is breeding stock even though they're all able to be registered um, just because in order to really determine quality, especially on the Ram side of things really have to, to be as picky as you can be. So. um, Well, yeah. And your reputation um, uh, will, will, it'll take care of itself if you do that. Yeah. Versus selling everything with nuts and legs as a breeding stock that don't last. Yeah. Yep. Okay, guys, thanks for listening to season two. Our first episode of, of this season was Sarah Gibson, uh, who's, who's in southwest Missouri, I believe. And uh, she started sending us questions, and we stuck her uh, right on a podcast uh, to, to let you guys hear the same stuff that, that we hear on a regular basis. And uh, so she's fairly new to sheep. And, man, I can so relate to Sarah's uh, questions. Uh, she she wants to grow her flock, um, and, and she's done. She jumped in feet first, so we kind of got more technical than she thought uh, we were headed, and, and I did too. Uh, I thought we were were going to be pretty basic, but uh, that's how we roll. I mean, one thing leads to another. So um, look forward to listening to our next episode, maybe uh, maybe another with Sarah. So. Uh, we'll get her on at another time with some more questions and and uh, hope you guys enjoy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you and see you later. <laughs>